We're in the process now of finishing Romans and in the passage before us, which is chapter 15, verses 14 through 21, which I'm only going to take about 15, 17 minutes with today, we find these words directed more personally now to the Roman Christians themselves. So if your Bible's open electronically or old-fashioned big black Bible like I'm holding here, Romans 15 verses 14 through 21. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written you very boldly by way of reminder. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, and here again he quotes Isaiah, his favorite prophet, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. In light of what you've heard from our elders this morning, regarding the work that's gone into meeting these initiatives. Here's a passage where Paul gives us his critical initiative, we might call it. He calls it his work for God there in verse 17, and his work for God was reaching Gentiles with the gospel of Jesus. Let's call it gospel explicitness. That's the work Paul gave himself to. We couched our five critical initiatives, as you heard, in terms of first of Anners being able to make the gospel more explicit, our five initiatives are our means to that end. We have the term gospel in this passage three times. If you're looking at the passage, it's in verse 16, the gospel of God, verse 19, the gospel of Christ, verse 20, preach the gospel. So this is a passage that conveniently, if not providentially, links up with this morning's special focus. And, and in looking at it here, as we're toward the end of, of Romans now, really, really kind of at the end of Romans now as far as the instruction, we have to remember back when we get all the gospel emphasis here in this passage, chapter 15, verses 14 to 21, three times the gospel's mentioned, go back with me for just a moment to chapter 1. Remember this in chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek or the Gentile. And remember what the Gentiles were characterized by? If you're looking at chapter 1, go down to verse uh, 29, Romans chapter 1, verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, etc., and so on. If Jews struggled with self-righteousness and commending themselves to God, which he covers in Romans chapter 2, 
Gentiles were marked by unrighteousness and suppression of the knowledge of God. Paul looked at over the Gentile world in chapter 1 and said, we, meaning our our ancestors, most of us in the room of of Gentile heritage of, of some stripe, he said, we were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and added that we suppress the knowledge of God and said that we are given over to our sinful ways. All these depictions of us in unrighteousness back there in the first chapter. But here in chapter 15, Paul looks at Gentiles now redeemed and says, I've got no better proof positive for the transformative power of the Spirit of God through the gospel than you Roman Christians. Look at it again, verse 14, chapter 15, verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you. He's talking to the, the Roman believers, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. The gospel is is not just a message about how to be saved, it's also about being saved, being transformed by God, how this happens ongoing. And so whatever our next round of initiatives are are going to be, and these initiatives, they were they were new to us, and, and, and as God often does, he, as he takes a, a, a church on its journey of faith, a lot of times he'll, he'll have us address things internally, and we've done a lot of that, and we'll continue to address things internally, but, but this next round of initiatives, we start to, um, we start to look out of, of how do we make the gospel more explicit out there? And as we look at this passage... and we think about the vision of our church, the direction, the mission of our church, it is always, no matter what the next round of initiatives, which we'll unveil in November, what the next round will, will take us through, it's always about making the gospel explicit, not just inside the church, but particularly outside the church. Look at how he puts it in verse 18. I will not venture, verse 18, to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. There's the goal. In fact, Romans is bookended by a single phrase. Do you realize that the same phrase that begins Romans ends Romans? Look at it. Uh, It's chapter 1, verse 5. He says that we have this ministry from Jesus Christ our Lord through whom, chapter 1 verse 5, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, that's the phrase, the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And then if you go to the very end of Romans, chapter 16 verse 26, he talks about again, we are here to bring about the obedience of faith. And right there in chapter 15, our passage today, verse 18, he says, what I'm going to talk about is how God has used me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Here in chapter 15, verses 17 and 18, he says, this is the point of my work. It's it's not enough just to believe something to get us to heaven. What we believe is supposed to affect how we live here and now, and not just regarding morals but also hope and purpose and passions. We talked a little bit about this 
in, in Romans chapter 12. We'll talk more about the obedience of faith when we get to the end of Romans in a couple of weeks in chapter 16. For now, today, very briefly, I want to consider with you in this passage the means to the end of gospel explicitness, because we have it here. How it is that we're being transformed from once approximating all that was written about us collectively back in chapter 1 to now, look at it again, verse 14, being full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. Putting that in terms of this series, he's saying believers are conditioned by God, conditioned by believing the gospel to be easily edified instead of being hard to edify or hardly ever edified. And we're competent to edify one another based on what God has done and is doing in each of us, which is always more than we know. To edify is to build one another up. It is to work from a common core for a common good. But just as the first century church found challenges working for a common good, so does the 21st century church. We addressed the reason why in chapter 14, the whole dynamic of permissible differences. We work from a common core, an explicit gospel, believed, lived, and then we practice grace and goodwill on the peripheries, but we work for a common good. And the critical initiatives that you heard summation of from our elders, these were each and all expressions of what we believe before God our common good is to be. We work from a common core, explicit gospel, but we work for the common good. But again, the challenge we find in this is we have differing ideas of common goods. I mean, just take as a for instance, keeping it with the text, just look at verse 19. Well, I'll start with verse 18. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Here's the means by which that happened, by word and deed, that is preaching and the conduct of, of, of gospel-believing apostles in this case. Verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders and by the power of the Spirit of of God. What kinds of signs and wonders do we experience at First of Ann? You say, well, now hold on, we're not that kind of church. You know, we're not the church that goes seeking supernatural expressions of God's working. Okay. But perhaps you've heard the old story. It's probably legend, but it makes a keen point. Thomas Aquinas, the great uh, Catholic theologian, met the Pope of his time, the story goes. And as the Pope showed Aquinas all the great buildings of the church in Rome, a standing army to defend the church's interests, priests dressed in their finery, the Pope said to Aquinas, no more can St. Peter say, silver and gold have I none. He was thinking of that story in Acts chapter 3 where a, a destitute, paralyzed man asks Peter and John for money and, and Peter and John say, we don't have any money, but, but rise and walk. And Aquinas, catching that story, said, indeed, but neither can St. Peter say, rise, take up your bed and walk. I think that's instructive for us. Do you find yourself, do we find ourselves as a church wanting yearning, longing 
to see the Spirit of God work in power among us and through us? Or do we want our common good to be whatever doesn't disturb our status quo? You know, the transformation that's described in verse 14 here, when you consider what the Gentiles were, pre-gospel, chapter 1, not a very pretty picture, and you get to chapter 15, and now they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, that is knowledge of God and His ways and His will, and able to instruct one another, which gets at edification, building one another up. When you consider that transformation, it's not supposed to be exceptional. Only when you get to the the 21st century kind of expression, do we have this idea that there's, there's grades of Christian, you know, there's sort of the barely believer and then there's the really exceptional. Uh, it, it's not supposed to be that. It, it's supposed to be daily life of the church stuff that we have here. And yet daily life of the church stuff depends on, on a renovation of the Holy Spirit of God, empowering us changing our priorities, our perspectives, our practices. That's exactly what the Spirit of God is doing when He is leading us. If you say, I really do want to be filled with the Spirit, that ministry of the Spirit where He, he fills us in order to accomplish the, the purposes He set for us. If you say, you know, I, I've always wanted that uh, since I first came to Christ. I my heart resonates with that. I, I want to be filled with the Spirit of God. I do too. I want to know His power more than I do. And not in some contrived way, but I want to know the Lord better than I do. And you know, I take to the pulpit here every Sunday believing you do too. That whatever else may be true of us, we really are drawn to Jesus. Whether you consider yourself an A-plus Christian or a C-minus Christian, as Johnny Cash called himself. Whatever you, you grade, uh, that, that there's, I assume when I step in here, and I think it's the right assumption, that, that I'm speaking to people who, who have an interest in the Lord Jesus and, and want to know Him by the power of His Spirit and want to see Him work and move and, and do things with us that, that we we recognize are, are, are His doing and not something that we conjure up ourselves. D.L. Moody was uh, asked once if he was filled with the Spirit and he replied, yes, but I leak. <laughs> and I do too, you know? And we have to be honest about that. We have to be honest about our flaws and our faults and the things that we don't get right. But... Um, what I want you to notice in the text is that the early Gentiles weren't brought to obedience to God simply by word and deed. Do you note that? Look at it, verse 18. To bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed and by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. What I want you to notice is we're in football season, so there's a zip on the ball. It's not just a completed pass. It, there's a zip on the ball here. There's a spiritual power at work, which we tend in our circles to under 
emphasized to undersell as often as people in other circles maybe oversell it and overemphasize it. We tend to be mostly cerebral with our faith and, and, and because we are, we're very measured in our faith expression. We want to be, we want to be careful to, to not go out, out, out of the bounds. But I, I think the church that makes the gospel explicit now in this culture as it is, is, is going to be one in which the power of the Spirit of God is evident. And, and, and if you think what I mean by that is we're swinging from the chandeliers in here, you're, you're misunderstanding me. What I'm saying is that there's fruit. There's fruit like the difference that Jesus actually makes in a life. Transformation. Where before you demonstrated uh, a lack of self-control, now there's some self-discipline. Where you were once fearful and fretful before, now there's courage. Where you were moralistic, concerned with, with keeping up an image and, and, and maybe impressing other Christians with ability to, to, to say Christian things and, and familiarity. Now, now there's an alignment between the what and the why and and you're doing the obedience of faith. Where, where once before you got upset because you couldn't turn left into the parking lot on a Sunday morning. Now the things that upset you are the things that actually break the heart of God. Where before you neglected the poor and the marginalized, now you make room for them. Where before you, you cratered under the weight of suffering, thinking, well, because this suffering is my life, God is obviously unfair to me, he hates me, he doesn't want to do anything good for me. You, you, you break from moralistic, therapeutic deism. And you, you have a meaning in life that suffering can't take away, which means your faith is more than therapy. Your faith has substance under the sheen, and, and, and you're putting your faith where others can get to it. Why is this important? Notice he says in verse 20 that his ambition was to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. But we live here among people where Christ has been named for a long time. But that doesn't mean he's loved. Look at it, verse 20. Paul says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named lest I build on someone else's foundation but as is written... Those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. Christ has been named in Memphis over and over and over again. And for our next go-around of initiatives, what I'm hoping for from the Lord is that he works in us and he works on us such that we no longer see Memphis as a city full of people who... who who know Jesus and see him already, but we see Memphis full of people who may know his name, but also know they don't love him and they don't follow him and they start getting honest about that. See, because when you don't love Jesus, that's more than just a leak. That's really unbelief. And we, um, we have a lot of God-fearing unbelief in our area here because Jesus is not loved and he's not followed. He's named He's known to a point. I intend no spiritual elitism in assessing things this way. But our aspiration, Paul uses the word ambition there in verse 20. It, it should be that as we're going around this place that we call home and love, 
so many churches here, there, and everywhere. We want to see people drawn to Jesus in this city, this place, like they have never been drawn to him before. We pray to that end. We work to that end for people to realize that they miss him and that uh, they, they want him. They, they want to love him and they want to give him their allegiance and that we can show them how. The ministry of the gospel of Christ is by no means done for our church or our city. The reason we have critical initiatives renewed every thousand days is so we don't settle into these status quos and, and, and we lose sight of our reality in Christ that we are called, we are resourced by him to serve him, to make the gospel explicit in our generation while we still have breath, while we still have time. Because God wants you in on his work. The work of making much of Jesus. Well, let's sing together.